Today is Trinity Sunday. It's the day in which we celebrate the Holy Trinity. And, and this has always seemed a little bit odd to me because I can't think of a single worship service, mission project, or Bible study that isn't about celebrating the Trinity. I mean, it's one of the beliefs at the center of everything that we believe. And just like we can't do anything without talking about the Trinity, we can't really talk about the Trinity without talking about everything. No pressure. But, but that's where all of this gets intricate so quickly, because it's easy to say, the Trinity, I know what that one is. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the end. But if you push on that notion, if you try to contain it and explain it, it gets hard quickly. How does it work? What does that look like? How can God truly be one in three, three in one? Traditionally, we answer questions like this one of two ways. First, because that's the way God is, now go and clean your room. Or we get quiet and serious for a moment and say, hmm, yes, it is the mystery of God. We hope that's enough. One thing that we can say confidently about God in three persons is that God is more, more than we can ever fully understand or translate into comfortable terms, more than fits into our regular narrow categories. And it's not just that God is big and great and awesome. God is totally self-sufficient lacking nothing, and full of life. Before creation, God didn't need anything, but God chose to bring forth the wildness and the foolishness and the beauty of every living thing. God started from a place of unending abundance and then made a place for every creature walked in this holy creation with boundless love and caring. The thing about the Trinity is that this superabundant God of ours is generous, not in a, I made this ship, it's your turn to sail it way, but with a steady presence and ongoing engagement. Because think about it, it wasn't just in creation. We can see God being generous in startling revelations in Scripture, in the giving of the Ten Commandments, sending the prophets, in coming forward as the Son, Jesus Christ, to give even his own life to secure our salvation, in the movement of the Spirit that startles us awake and calms our fears and leads us forward into action for justice. Yes, all of this comes from the generous heart of our triune God. So we, as a people, proclaim that we are made in God's image. So certainly we are called to be transformed by the generosity that has given us everything. It is a part of our joyful response to all of that grace and love, mercy and hope. 
So this morning, each of our scripture lessons corresponds with one thing to understand about generosity as part of our spiritual discipline. In our lesson from Exodus this morning, we find that God has called Moses to oversee the work of building the sanctuary for the tabernacle. And indeed, God has provided those skilled workers who are blessed with the talent to create a space of reverence and beauty and awe. God stirs their hearts so they know just what to do. But this little story isn't really about Moses, great foreman of the sanctuary project, and it's not about those artists and artisans who do such amazing work. This is a story about a people who are thrilled at the thought of being able to contribute to this holy, portable worship space for their time with God wandering in the wilderness. And they're so thrilled that they bring gifts, contributions, materials, day after day after day. And they bring so much that the workers have to say, Moses, enough, tell them to stop, it's enough already. Now how often does that happen in stewardship season? Stop the people from bringing. From this story, we can see that true generosity has limits. That might sound strange, almost wrong, but it's absolutely true. Generosity can't be forced and it can't be constrained because a generous spirit does not come from guilt about needing to earn your place or prove anything. Generosity doesn't come from wanting to brag about how important you are in the church. And you know what else? Generosity shouldn't hurt. If you're using your rent check to build up the church and you end up out of a house and desperate, I don't think that was generosity. If you give everything you have because you think that means God will make you a millionaire, I don't think that's generosity. If you neglect your own physical and emotional needs, giving all your time and money and energy to a project that just leaves you battered and broken, I don't think that's generosity. Because spiritual generosity is not about what you give. It's about how your heart engages in your giving. How you give is infinitely more important than how much you give. If you can connect to the joy and the significance of your service, then it will feed the community and feed your soul, helping you to feel closer to God. And that can help power you forward even when being generous becomes difficult. But if you get locked in a cycle of obligation and anger, frustration and resentment, that's not generosity anymore. It's just making new wounds. Generosity has limits because you have to say no to a good many things in order to say a wholehearted yes to the few things that mean the most in your life. Our next glimpse at generosity comes from the book of Acts with Paul and Lydia. And Paul is making his missionary trip and he comes to the town of Philippi. It's not a a huge town by any means, but because there are gold mines just outside of the town limits, there is a lot of money in this little city. And where there is great wealth, you will find many dealers in luxury goods. Enter Lydia. 
She was from Thyatira, a Macedonian city that was the center of the trade in purple dye and purple goods. Now, there were a few ways to get purple dye in the ancient world, but the most elite and desired and impressive was from a certain species of predatory snails called murex. At minimum, to dye a thin garment with a light shade of purple from these snails, you would need a hundred of them, or hundreds. If you had a thick garment and you wanted a much darker shave, which was of course more coveted, it could take 12,000 snails to get enough of that dye to do the trim of that garment. Needless to say, the labor-intensive nature of this product meant there was a lot of money to be made in buying and selling the dye and garments and decorations of purple. So, Lydia was doing very well for herself, probably as a seller working for a firm back home in Thyatira, catering largely to the upper crust of society. She speaks and acts with authority, so many scholars have suspected that she was a widow. In any case, she was a formidable woman. She had already learned about God and had come to the place of prayer on the river. She listens to Paul and his companions, and the Lord touches her heart. And she calls out her whole household to come. That would include family, but even slaves working in that house. And they are all baptized. And then our, our translation fails to grasp the enormity of what she does. When she tells Paul to come to our house, our translation looks a little innocent. She urged us to come to her home. The word in Greek ranges in meaning from beg to exhort, and even includes someone who is giving evidence in a court of law. So you have to remember, Lydia was a salesman and she was tenacious. She was like a lawyer making her case. She would not stop until her truth was heard. Because she knew in her heart that Paul should come to her house and she was not taking no for an answer. After Lydia makes her entreaty, you'll see we don't have a response from Paul. Just the words, she prevailed upon us. This word in Greek does mean that she was persuasive, but it includes the sense of being almost forced to do something because the request was so powerful. So, from Lydia, we can see that sometimes in order to be generous, we have to be persistent. Because if we take the time and the trouble to do the work of discernment, to find our limits, to discover exactly where we can give and connect in the world, then we darn well ought to have some confidence when we do find that direction to go in. Lydia wouldn't let Paul go, and he came to her house. And that was where the first church in Philippi was established, all because God gave Lydia a stubborn, generous, persistent heart. And then, if you fast forward 10 years, we have Paul's letter to the Philippians. At this point, he is in prison and he's far away, and he wants to connect back to this beloved church. They've just sent another financial and material contribution to help Paul in his ministry to make it through his time in jail. Paul seems overwhelmed that this little church cares so much for him. There are very few churches that Paul would even accept contributions from, but with the influence of Lydia, I am sure, 
the church at Philippi seems to have kept up that generous spirit on and on. Paul tells them he can make it through in lean times and in fat times, and it is God who strengthens him. But all the same, it's such a beautiful feeling to know how they care about him and support him. Elsewhere, in the epistles, we find out that the churches in Macedonia, including the one in Philippi, they were filled with very poor people. Certainly not everyone in the church had the comfort and the social standing that Lydia did. But even so, they gave what they could because they knew that their hearts went with Paul and his ministry work for the Lord. And Paul assures them that their generosity is seen, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. From this little giving church, we can see that generosity gives us growth. It can be a balm in an old open wound. It can be stitches over things that have long since cut us deep. It can be a solid cast to support parts of us that are broken while the Spirit does the healing work that knits us back together. Generosity works in individual hearts and in communities and, yes, even in nations. It opens us up to new love and new peace in the light of our blessed God. And so today, as we marvel at God's generous nature, overflowing in the waters of baptism, holding us lovingly in the arms of grace, let us strive to learn what it is to be generous. Let us be humble in finding our limits, persistent in doing something beautiful, and open-hearted as we find ourselves transformed and nourished in God's holy way. Amen.